Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. I want to ask a question for you or to you this morning. And the question is this, what words spring into your mind when you think of the word family? You know, for some of us, you know, when I say the word family, you think of special occasions, you know, the special people that you, you do life with. You know, it might be going to the beach together, it might be movie nights with popcorn and chocolates, it might be going down to the beach, it might be snuggling on the couch and just, uh, actually I already said watching movies, but you know, watching movies together or going to somewhere and eat ice creams or trips away on holidays together. See, one of my most favorite vivid memories of growing up is that we would do this thing called family dinner night and we would go to Hungry Jack's and we would go to Hungry Jack's and we would eat Whoppers and, and, and eat chips and drink drinks and we would have a really special time as a family. That was one of the little weird family things that we did growing up. But for others, the word family brings back painful memories. See, when I say the word family, it can bring up hurts. It can bring up tough memories or broken homes or broken marriages or broken promises or broken hearts. See, I say the word family and every one of us have had a very different experience. See, we all, but we all come from a family background. And for some of us, they're great memories. For others, they're tough memories. But no matter where we find ourselves here this morning and what thoughts go through our heads and what experiences we feel in our hearts, God has some good news for every single one of us this morning. See, we're in this series called Identity where we're looking at the questions, the big questions of life. You know, things like, why am I here? Who am I? You know, what, what have I been designed for? What kind of purpose? Is there any purpose to my life? And who am I? And if there really is a God, what is the point to my life? And what does he want to do with me? See, it's been interesting talking to a whole range of different people in our campus and outside over, over these last few weeks that we've been in this series. And the one common theme that happens in every single one of those conversations is that we all agree that this is one of life's biggest challenges and biggest questions. Who am I? And why was I put on planet Earth? It's a question that regardless of your age, regardless of your, your, your background or where you've come from or anything else around us, we all know that we all want to know the answer to this question. So we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and this morning we're going we're gonna to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, but over this series so far, we've looked at the, the fact that I am chosen, that you are chosen. We looked at the, the topic and the idea of the, that every one of us have the offer and can be saved. And then last week, uh, Pastor Jason, our senior pastor, talked about I am loved. And if you're here, there was an enormous big ladder and a pile of rocks. And if you weren't here, you need to go jump online. You need to listen to the podcast because it was an incredible message. As we grapple through, as we realize that there is a God and we are loved. 
But today we're going to look at one of the deepest desires of our hearts. See, it's, it's, it's something that we all wrestle with, but it's something that we all desire. We all want a place where we belong. We all want a place where we're accepted. We all want a place where we're validated. We all want a place where we're valued on our best days, but we're also valued on our worst days. See, tradition, traditional culture tells us that a person's identity is intrinsically linked to their family of origin. And this could have been a tribe back in the day, it could have been a village, but for all of us, we, our identity is linked to our family. So this is a snapshot of my family. Growing up, this is, uh, this is us, the Morrow family. That's my dad, my mom, my sister with a mullet, my brother with a mullet, and you can guess who the little one down the front is. How... Weird is that? Anyway, that's my family growing up, and this is my family now. That's our little crazy crew. I'm not sure what Reuben is doing there, but he's doing something. But that is, you know, that is our family. We all have a family of origin, and, and I'm now, and many of you have a family that you are part of with your spouse now. See, once, someone once said, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Now, I'm not going to ask us to put up a hand if we say we'd like to choose your family because some of them are probably sitting next to you. Uh, but we all know we've all got a crazy uncle or aunt, aren't we? You know, we've all got some crazy person in our family. And if I just want to lovingly and clearly suggest something this morning. If you can't think of who that is, may I suggest that probably is you. But, you know, every one of us, you know, we, we can't, we can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. But I want to suggest to us this morning that it's hard to discover who we are until we discover where we're from. You know, and it, didn't, it, it struck me this week as I was talking with a friend of mine who was adopted as a kid. And, and as we were talking through this, he said, Dave, it's been so hard to work out my identity because I don't know who my parents are, my biological parents, and I don't know where I've come from. And I've realized that it's really hard. It's been a hard journey to work out who I am. You see, God knows the significance of family. And he, he knows why we're created, and it's why he created Families, And so this morning we're going to look at the, the reality of I am family. So we're going to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up verse 1. So if you've got your Bible or a piece of technology, or you can read the screen, whichever is up to you. And let's read it together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you are received, that you have received. Let me just pause there for a moment. You know, it says... Reading that this week, I was struck again and blown away the fact that, you know, it says in there that live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. See, every single one of you are called by God. See, every single one of you have a, has a gift that God desires and wants to use. But let's continue. Verse 2, it says, be completely humbled and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep in unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Let's pause there for a moment. See, Paul here, 
is writing to the church in Corinth. He, he's writing to a, to a bunch of young Christians in a young church who are wrestling to work out their identity in the midst of a mixed-up, bizarre culture where it was, they were caught up in image. It was a political uh, hub for, for Rome. It was, you know, they were caught up in the, the money and the stuff and the power. Though It was an overly sexualized society. There was so much going on that sounds a lot still like what we wrestle with and what we live in amongst of today. And here was Paul talking to a bunch of new Christians in a new community that was called the church, that had just been planted and birthed by the apostle Paul. And Paul here starts, he starts by talking to us about how we should live our lives and, and then how we should live our lives in and amongst a family. And he says, you know what, what we need to do is we need to live lives and have families that are humble and gentle and patient and supportive to one another where there's unity and when there's keeping of peace. I mean, how many of us can say this morning, that's my family? I mean, that's my marriage. I mean, that sums up exactly everything about, you know, that's why next term we're starting the marriage course. So we're providing a marriage course for all of us, including me, to come and join and be part of. See, Paul knows here the power and the significance of family and how it impacts us and, and how it impacts our identity. And you know this because if you come from a broken home, you know this morning as I talk about these things, you know the wrestles that you've been through and that you've experienced because of that break in that family. But Paul here understands he understands that we're born into a physical, biological family. But more than that, we're actually born when we give our lives to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're now invited into a wider family called the church. And, and he understands that, that this church, this larger family has a large or can have a large way in helping form our identity. So I've got two thoughts for us this morning. And the first thought is this. Without family, we can't do it. Now, I'm going to say something this morning. I'm going to say something that's going to shock all of you. Okay, so just turn to the person next to you and say, get ready. All right, turn to the person that you didn't pick first time around because you don't quite love them as much as the, no, no, I wouldn't say anything like that. Turn to the other person and say, get ready. You ready? All right, everyone's ready? All right, cool, we're all ready. You aren't strong enough to live this life on your own. See, the, the challenge is, though, is live, we live in a society that tries to teach us that you are enough, that you are old enough and ugly enough and big enough and handsome enough or good looking, whatever it is, but you are enough, you should be enough. You know, we live in a society that, that encourages us to portray an image that says, I don't need anyone because I've got it all together and I'm fine. I mean, we come to church, say, how was your week? And we go, good. And then we go, really? Are we really that good? But yes, we're good. You know, we, and, we, and we betray this. We, we, we're encouraged by society to betray an image that says that we don't really need anyone else. That I can do it on my own. I want to share a little story that's found in Exodus chapter 17. 
It's an incredible story. The, the nation of Israel has escaped from Egypt and they've beaten Pharaoh and they've got through the, the Dead Sea. The, the waters come tumbling back and they've made it through alive and they're, they're, they're out in the wilderness on the way to the promised land and everyone is excited and then everyone starts whinging and grizzling and even though God saved them, he's got them out of Egypt, he, they all find themselves grizzling and whinging and then they start com- complaining about how they got no food and then God provides food that falls down every single morning from heaven. They don't even have to do anything except for pick it up. And then they start complaining, we're thirsty. So then Moses strikes a, a, a rock with a stick with his staff and it springs water out and they've now got all of this water. And again, they didn't have to do a thing. And all of these great things have just happened and they still keep and find themselves complaining. But then we find in verse, in, sorry, in chapter 17, verse 8, we read this story that all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the great things, word arrives. That the, 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 the nation of Elimelech, or uh, sorry, Elimelechites, were, were on their way and were going to destroy Israel. So Moses gathers together Joshua and a couple of his key guys and said, what I want you to do tomorrow, gather up a few guys and I want you to do is tomorrow morning, I want you to run out and go into battle and God is with you. And so Joshua was like, I don't know how that's going to work, but all right, let's go. We're going to do this. And verse 10 says this. So Joshua fought the Elimelechites and, yeah, and Moses had, as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took the stone and put it under him for him to sit on. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so that his hands could remain steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. See, Moses got tired, but he had some people in his life who said, I will stick with you until we see the victory. He had people in his life who said, you know what? When you can't, I will. When you can't make it, I'm going to stand alongside you and I'm going to be with you. And together we will get there. See, you're not supposed to do life on your own. You were created to walk in the plans of God with the people of God. It's why we need each other. It's why in our church we're so passionate about life groups. And, and, I, and I occasionally hear some people say, you know, I don't need a life group. But statistics say that you're either in trouble, getting out of trouble, or will soon be in trouble. You know, and, and some of us, are, well, you know, we're maybe all three of those things at the same time, if that's ever possible. You know, but we all know that if you've lived life long enough, we all go through tough times. And there's more tough times just around the corner. And you and I know that when we go through those moments, you and I both know that we need people in our corner. People who will lift our hands up when we can't do it. People who will stand with us when we feel like we can't stand anymore. How many of us know that when we go through these seasons in life, we need someone 
to be with us. A couple of weeks ago, Nat and Paul Morrison, one of the young families in our church, Nat was up on stage and she shared their family story of the challenges and the horrible times that they've been through, of the many, many, many miscarriages they've had as a family, of the grief and the loss and the hurt and the anger and the the pain and everything else they've been through. And yet what I find so intriguing is that as they shared, as she shared their story very vulnerably, as she shared about what it's been like to go through all of these things, she made one statement at the end. She said, I don't know where I'd be without this community. We don't know where we would be without our life group, who have always been there with us. See, church, I could echo that same story many, many times in many, many different people's lives in our campus. Who, if it wasn't for people in their corner, their life group, a community around them, then I don't know where they would be this morning. But Paul continues. In verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle and patient. And bearing with one another in love. I mean, you know, as we listen to that, it kind of sounds like the dream of the perfect family, doesn't it? I mean, like I'm the pastor and so I'm meant to stand up here and go, you know what, I've got the perfect family. I've got three kids, one wife, one little annoying dog that, that is getting better. And, you know, and, and, and so like we've got this perfect family and all of these great things. And I've got the perfect kids. Sometimes I've got the perfect marriage. Well, when Shadi's being perfect, no, no, you know, and, and, and. We know we don't get it right. We know that I often don't get it right. But there's one thing that we do try and do, and that's pray for our kids. See, church, we need to be praying for the coming generation. We need to be praying for our kids. We need to be praying for our youth. We need to be praying for our young adults. You know, the pressure is on for them more than ever. I look at the stuff that my kids are wrestling through, the stuff that I went through in school. Like, it pales in insignificance. You know, we need to be praying. We need to be standing in the gap for the young people. See, stats say that 80% of everyone who comes to faith do so before the age of 18. And the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come, and he knows that if he can get these young people at this pivotal age, at this point in time, if he can take them out, then the chances aren't great that they will ever return back to Jesus. It's why we give so generously to resource our kids and our young people. It's why we're going to give sacrificially to build a building in that back top corner of this, of this property for our kids and our young people. But young families, I want to talk to all of you and all of us at the moment. Young families, it's why it's important that we're in church regularly. I, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. It's hard with kids and babies. You know, I get it. I mean, we've just heard a bunch. There's a bunch of mums sitting in the parents' room. There's, there's one at the back doing laps around with a little, you know... He's a legend. But, you know, and, and, and I get how complicated and hard it is. But you know, as we know, that we need people in our lives. You need people to ask for help. We need people who can ask for advice. See, your kids need to see you actively involved in worship. They need to be in our kids' ministry, which is not just about babysitting, but it's about developing and growing passionate followers of Jesus. 
Now, I was going to call this next group the oldies, but I won't do that because I'd offend everyone. So over the, the over 55s, which I don't know if I've just dug my hole even bigger. It's forgiveness, not permission. Anyway, all right, all right. Can I talk to you guys for a moment? Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to encourage the young families? Can I encourage you to encourage the teenagers? Encourage the young adults? Because you've been there and done that. While life is a little bit different from when you were that age, they need you. They need you to cheer them on. They need you to encourage them. You don't know how much your encouragement means to me. We need to be encouraging the generations to come. To know that we're there, we're there praying for them, and we're there cheering them well. We're there and we've got their backs together. And I want to say to you something really important. The over 55s, if you're not dead, which otherwise you wouldn't be here, if you're not dead, God's not done. See, without family, we can't do it. Our identity can't, our identity can't be made without others walking alongside of us and holding our arms up when we get told, when we get, when we get tired. and We need the encouragement. We need the challenge in love. And you know what? I've been reminded of this, that, that we can't do this alone just in this last couple of weeks where, if I can share really vulnerably, that, that our family... has been going through some really tough times. And, but for the support and the love and the care and the random acts of ice cream and whatever else, has been there to be able to help us through some of our difficult seasons as well. See, I know, I've been reminded again that I can't do it alone, that you can't do it alone, that we can't do it alone, but we're better together. And we need each other. But then Paul continues in verse 7. He says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed. This is why he says, When he ascended to on high, he took many captives and gave the gifts to his people. Verse 11. So Christ gave himself, gave, gave himself the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity and faith in knowing the Son of knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me stop there. So my second thought for us this morning is this: Without family, we will never be whole. See, Paul talks about how the family, his church is filled with people of all sorts of different gifts and different people with different talents and, and, and all of these things God wants to use and He's given because He wants to outwork His incredible plan for the salvation of the world and He wants to use you and He wants to use me. But Paul is saying that the family can't be whole if we don't all chip in. See, one of our family's most popular times of the day is just after dinner. 
where we have to clean up for the amazing meal that Shadi has made and comes to stacking dishes and, and cleaning the table and washing pots and pans and wiping down the table and putting things away. Now, I'm not sure if you're like anything at my house, but at that moment, everyone magically evaporates and disappears until it's just Shadi and I. You know, that moment where it's like, all right, so we're going to clean up, we're going to do the dishes, and, and all of a sudden you, you blink. And like my blinks aren't that slow. It's like you blink and then you open it and everyone's, poof, they're gone. And all of a sudden, you know, like there's some emergency toilet journey that has to happen. You know, some important life altering phone call that needs to be made. Some emergency homework that has been forgotten about. And if I don't do it right now, my whole school career forever will fall apart. You know, you know. Or maybe there's just some other life-changing and altering moment that needs to be attended to at that specific moment in time, instead of chipping in together. See, our family, we need each other. And Paul says to be in Christ and being part of a close-knit family, our identity is fundamentally linked to the body of Christ, His church and finding our gifts and finding out why we did that that night a couple of weeks ago where we journeyed we worked out what are our gifts and how has God given me how has he wired me and what does he want to do with my life and what how can those gifts be outworked is so important but see next month is Jude's birthday our littlest and imagine if I said to him hey Jude here's your presents and he opened them up and then as soon as he opened them out he's like oh and I took them off him and I put them up on the shelf just up here and, and just said, all right, mate, don't look, but don't touch. Now, would anyone here say, I'm a great dad? Now, just quietly, you know, when it comes to Lego and you all of this time speaking, you know, time, time spent to build it, super annoying when they break it, but that is kind of the point of it. You know, and anyway, so, so imagine if I put up on there and I said, you know what, look, but don't touch. We would all go, Dave, you're a wicked bad dad. And I would all agree with every single one of you. But how many of us do that with our gifts? We shelve them thinking, you know what, oh, my, my gift's not that amazing. It's not that significant. It's not that special. It's really not going to do that much for anyone else. I mean, I don't even know how to use it. I don't know what it looks like. I don't even know what it is. I don't, uh, it's not that significant or amazing. And so we say to ourselves, look, but don't touch Paul says here that his God has given every single one of us gifts to use in the church and outside of the church. Gifts that he wants to use when you're at your home with your kids and your family and with the other people that you live, work, laugh with. You know, gifts that he wants to use in your workplace to bless other people. See, Paul knew and it was why he was so persistent, why he was so passionate about this, because he understood that our identity is often found in whatever you give your heart to. It's why at church we talk about, you know, we, we bring our time and we bring our treasures. You know, we bring our time and our gifts and we bring our treasures and our finances to God so that he might use both of those. It's why both are really, really important. And I want to challenge us all this morning. If you're not serving or you're not giving, can I challenge you? Say, God, what have you given me and how can I give back? How can I serve? How can I make a difference in someone else's life? So let me come to Thanksgiving Day in two weeks' time. 
On your way out, you can grab a red bag that looks exactly the same as this. You know, it's a time where we can grab these. We can take one or two or how many you want. It's a big box in my office and we can fill them up and we can bring them back so that we can help support people who are doing it really tough. It's why we want to give opportunities for people to come and sew these bags and fill them with things that can go to homeless people at their moment and challenges right now. It's why on the Saturday we're going to have reno day. We're going to reno four properties for some people who, some of whom we don't even know, but some of you, you do. And we're going to make a difference in their lives. We're going to renovate a property that we've got some involvement with that works with ladies who are coming out of prison as a first stop to help them know that they are cared and that they are loved. And a church is going to come in and we're going to lay floor and put in new toilets and bathrooms and all sorts of bits and pieces in that house on that day. See, what I find so amazing is this. Is it, it's amazing how serving others changes your life. I mean, I've done these reno days a lot of times, and the one thing that keeps coming back to me is people come, keep coming back, and they say this. They go, Dave, why is it that I feel so amazing even though it wasn't for me? And I go, I know. It's cool, isn't it? They go, no, I don't get it. And I go, that's because Jesus said it's better to give than receive. See, there's something inside of us that we all want to make a difference, but sometimes we just don't know how. So here is some hows. But don't stop there. Why don't you join Team Gateway, one of the welcome teams of First Steps teams for the new Christians or our worship teams or our hospitality or our kids teams or youth teams, whatever. There is a spot for you. A Tuesday morning play groups for young mums. It's amazing how serving others changes your life. But see, Paul finishes here, he goes on and says that a true sign of maturity is when we move from God bless me, God, I've got my golden ticket in heaven, God, I've done all of these things and I've got these things and it's fantastic and you know, okay, God, I've got some friends at work who don't know you and I've got some family members, well, they're pretty messed up and jacked up and I don't really like them in the first place, but I have to love them because they're my family and, and God, I don't know what to do with them and so God, I just, I don't, I, it's, it's sign of maturity is when we go from God, what can you give me? goes from me to we. And it goes from going, you know what, I, God, I need you to stir a passion in us for the lost and the broken in our community that we live in the midst of. God, I need you to do something in me that, that, that opens my eyes, that fills my eyes with tears like sometimes my eyes maybe occasionally fill with tears. But God has given you gifts and he wants you to use them. So then if we hold each other's arms up and we begin to serve one another, the God will begin to develop and grow our identity and our ideas of how he sees us. See, without family, we can't do it and we won't be whole. But I said at the start as I invite the team up, I said there's good news. Good news is that we're invited into a family. God's family, to build the one thing that Jesus left behind, to build the one thing that he said, this is what I want you to go and do. And he said, I want you to go and build his church because the church is the hope of the world. 
But this is not an exclusive party. It's not an exclusive family, but an inclusive family. A party invitation that is open for all. But church, I want to say something really quite strong this morning. I've been praying about this. God's been nailing me about this. I'm saying he's been nailing me before I say to you that I feel like God's calling us to wake up. He's saying, I want you to wake up for your friends and your family. See, the answer, church, the answer to your friends and your family's problems isn't, and the, and the world's problems isn't more technology or better technology. It's, it's not... Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. It's not government, more government handout. It's not better health systems. It's not more money in your pockets. It's not more stuff. But it's getting on our knees to pray. See, God, a few months ago, God brought my mind again to a passage of Scripture that has wrecked me. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says this. If my people... That's us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then God says, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. Church, how many of us know this morning that this community needs Jesus? How many of us know this morning that some of your family that, that aren't in church with you this morning, they need Jesus? Some of the people that you work with, some of the people that you go to sports with, some of the something for your mates, some of the your girlfriends, some of the some of the people that you hang out with. How many of us know that the answer to their problems is not more stuff and more handouts and more things? But it's Jesus. Church, it's time for us to wake up again. It's time for us to, to get on our knees. If my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways that I will hear from heaven. <laughs> Forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. See, church, it's time for us to get a little bit more hungry again. Desperate again. Pray again. That's why the first and third Tuesdays of the month we have what we're recalling the upper, our upper room prayer and worship gatherings up in the kids' building. You know, Acts 2 records a group of people gathered in upper, our, our upper room desperate and they were hungry for God. And they were desperate and hungry, had no idea what they were going to do, but they were like, God, we can't, but you can. And they gathered in the upper room on their knees, crying out to God, scared about what was going to happen, what was coming against them, but knowing that their God was bigger. And Acts 2 records that 
At that moment at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and it changed their world. It changed them forever. So we've got our own little upper room slightly on the side of a hill. And we've already seen God do some incredible things in that place. But God's got more. That's why we have a pre-service meeting in my office and down the front at quarter to nine every morning. I invite you to come to those. Church, we're going to get serious about the things that Jesus gets serious about. It's growing. It's about seeing more people come to know Jesus. And can I just say, if that's not your heart, then maybe... And I say this with all love, then if, if your heart isn't to keep growing and your heart isn't to keep seeing your friends and your family and your work colleagues come to know Jesus, then maybe, just maybe this isn't the right church for you. Because this is what Jesus gave his life for. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.